0: Oh, it's working. Okay. Love technology. Great. I'm Dan Rundy. I'm a senior vice president here at CSIS. Um, thanks for joining us today. Um, this is a side event for uh, to celebrate the
1: 60th anniversary of the inter-American development.
2: Our multilateral funds, um, which also focuses on the private sector. Um, So we had to make individual commitments for all these three arms looking at our smaller countries. So we started uh, with the ninth general capital increase in 2010 where the IDB pledged 35% of its lending loans to the smaller countries. And then um, during the annual meeting in Busan in 2015, the IDB Invest um, agreed on 40% of operations within the smaller countries and the IDB Lab this year in 2019 um, developed a business plan especially for our smaller countries where we have a target between 35 and 40 percent for the smaller countries but with within the idb invest and the idb lab we also have like a distinction between what we call small and island states, the SNI countries, where Suriname is part of the SNI countries. We have nine countries in these SNI countries, and these are all of the Caribbean countries. So it's Jamaica, Barbados, Bahamas, Guyana, Trinidad, Suriname, Belize. So we have seen increased support technically and also financially, but also more knowledge and more collaboration between the IDB and Suriname. At that point, for the, for the government of Suriname, policy reforms were really um, the most important part. So, in our c- current um, country strategy between Suriname and the IDB, we focus um, especially on the modernization of our public sector, with a special focus on financial strengthening and also the energy sector. The IDB has have had tremendous um, um, major. It has developed Suriname in. in, in in different sectors and has made tremendous um, um, progress in that area, but especially with with our legislation. So we had a lot of outdated legislation on different areas in business climate, um, financial area, and also in in our energy area. So the IDB helped support Suriname to update a lot of these legislations. And also um, as well is that now we also have people on the ground for IDB Invest and IDB Lab um, the, and, and better of it, there are people from Suriname. And why is this important for us in the private sector? I think Suriname is the only borrowing country that does not speak one of the official languages of the IDB, which, which we spoke about. Um, so for us in the private sector, it is very important to have local people on the ground to understand our private sector and to also be able
3: to speak the language. So there has been a push for more decentralization yes. from headquarters. Yes,
2: yeah. exactly. Um, So we are very positive and very um, optimistic that this will help um, develop um, our private sector as well because we do have a lot of potential. Um, And uh, there was a a research done by the World Bank which said that 36% of the private sector firms say that lack of finance hinders um, private sector growth. So again, we are very happy um, with this, that we have this now. And this also came from the commitments being done by the IDB lab and IDB invest.
3: We'll, we'll come back to this issue of. Uh... And in that BERT
0: program, we went to the IMF and we've been meeting most of the targets that the IMF has I've set. The IMF itself has changed, but we were recipients from the IDB of hundred million dollars of SLD SDL operation for Barbados in support of the broader efforts to stabilize our economy in November of 2018. So obviously we give full kudos to the IDB for all that they've done. But the IDB has been more into the region than you will ever think. For example, this region is highly vulnerable to external shocks, even as they seek to implement all the fiscal adjustments and debt consolidation programs and reforms to our business climate. Uh, for our tourism-based economies, the most important thing is going to be how our trading partners, the economies of our major, trade apart, major trading partners in Europe and in North America react. For commodity-dependent countries, obviously like Guyana and Trinidad, it's going to be um, how much the commodity prices, the movement of international commodity prices are going to affect them. If you're going to monetize cultural activity, for example, visual artists, singers, athletes or whatever, how do you get them on a the plane? That we're gonna to have to use a lot of incubators in our own way to get them to move there. And IDB has got to give us support. Um, someone told me today they didn't even know that Rihanna was from Barbados. Yes Rihanna is from Barbados. And we're not saying that we have a thousand Rihanna's in Barbados. I think we have two thousand. But 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 it means that we're gonna to have to look for other ways and means of financing our our future. The other area obviously is supporting the regional integration movement. We've talked a lot in the past about how we bring these islands together, but the integration of our capital markets, for example, reforms of our regional financial services architecture, and new competition policy has got to be a part and parcel of how we really truly integrate these countries in the future, and that's where the IDB. And finally, promoting and transforming the private sector to play a more significant role in building our societies. In the past, we have been Overly dependent on government, on the state, the
1: World Bank, and the Treasury. I think we were able to, you know, to kind of, you know, resolve those issues. I would say, you know, in very good terms. So by the 1999, you know, years, everybody was looking forward to the FTAs, you know, the American Integration Initiative, you know, the Millennium Development Goals, and everybody was, you know, happy uh, to see that many countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, even Nicaragua, through elections, you know, we have like a post peace process, you know, uh, life ahead. However, you know, within the next 20 years, uh, I believe that certain events did happen. You know, In the international arena, of course, uh, all that pertains to the 9-11 and other related events, but also at the, you know, at the national level, there was resistance to change. So basically, uh, key reforms like the fiscal reform or the administration of justice reform or the transparency anti-corruption reform were either checked you know, or partially accomplished. And hence, you know, we saw how, you know, narcotraffics and other, you know, illegal activities start, you know, to really set ground.
3: Thank you, Mario. I wanted to come back to the issue of, um, you know, there's a big push for uh, funding the SDGs through private capital. And um, I wanted to talk about how do we, how does IDB help countries mobilize private capital and not only, you know, foreign capital, but how, can we mobilize more of our internal resources? And I know, Dr. dabu you were instrumental in, um, you know, leading the El Salvador to investment grade. And how how have you done that and what benefits, you know, in terms of this private capital mobilization? If you could talk a little bit about that and why that is so important.
4: So I think the first thing is that for capital to come, they need to understand the risks. and uh, what tends to happen is that we want others to do certain things for us. And we need to do the homework ourselves, Mm -hmm. the countries themselves. So El Salvador is a country that went from hardship to in the path. At that time, the investments that came to the country were in record numbers. Mm -hmm. The growth of the country was also in record numbers. So part of the answer to your question is yes, we need more players like the private sector arm of the IDB or the IFC from the World Bank. But more importantly, we need private sector investors that believe in the rules of the game, in the rule of law, and that their investments will actually function, they will be able to repatriate capital, etc. So it takes two to tango, it takes for the governments and for the countries to uh, create the conditions, to enable the conditions to attract the private sector, and then it does take the role of institutions like the IDB to uh, help mitigate some of the risks that are always present through financial instruments, but also through the credibility that, for example, the IDB gives. With that, what you minimize is the real investors if you have, if you create the conditions for that to happen.
0: I, by, I've heard, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we that we are certainly much against, if, even when you take full responsibility for your actions, as the doctor has said, and even when you try to get your macroeconomic house in order, there are serious risks to people investing, the private sector investing, because of all the vulnerabilities that we face. And I think that we have not, many people have not looked seriously at these vulnerabilities and sought to deal with them. For example, by, the, by the, the IDB brings credibility when they are playing in our space to, to where we can go. But, you know, one of the things that we have been, we've become also the victims of our own successes. We've been cr- excluded from concessionary funding, for example, by the metrics that they measure, even trying to get your hands on.
1: But, you know, for the audience to know, you know, Australian sugar producers, you know, can enter the market in the U.S., you know, uh, transport-wise, you know, at a, at a lesser cost, you know, than Guatemala. You know, we're just around the corner of the U.S. market, and yet the Australian sugar producers, you know, have better conditions. So that's just to give you an example. Uh, because we like to suggest that we have a privileged, you know, uh, location, but we don't. I mean, it's a matter of, you know, how good our infrastructure and logistics uh, are, and they're, they're failing big time. So we're close to the market, but, you know, even Australians, you know, the, the other side of the Pacific can, in terms of... Uh, you know, a commodity. Uh, now that, uh, if you point it at technology and industri- industrial production, global chains. You know, you need even better infrastructure. So that's one of the main challenges, I would say. You know, to you know, to lure investors. You know, high quality investors.
2: And I would add. And that's why I think it's very crucial for our small countries to really work together and use the IDB in that context as well. Because we, we, we do um, face the same challenges. Um, our economies are not very diversified. Um, and, and what the ambassador...
0: That we need more ex ante building resilience and mitigation against natural disasters than ex-post financing for when it does happen. If we, we've got like nine billion dollars in private capital in 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 savings for people across the region of the Caribbean, and it's not being mobilized into any sustainable fund to be able to deal with issues of mitigation or if we are struck, how do we do it? but whenever you hit by a hurricane, four things essentially happen you there 's excessive flooding there 's loss of infrastructure, particularly personal housing there is there are issues of loss of power. Because most of our utilities are above ground and they need to be below ground. They need to be buried. And then the other issue is, uh, how do you rebuild? Where do you, where do you start to, to accumulate funds to start the rebuilding process? And I'm saying if the IDB could do anything in that regard, we've got to be able to, like for example, Holland is, 90% of Holland is below sea level. And they've not had a major flooding incident since 1953. And the reason for that is that the way they've designed their floodplains and what they've done, has been able to get them, because Katrina, for example, and what happened in New Orleans could never happen in Holland because of the way design. And I'm simply saying we're bringing in an expert, but it's going to be costly to be able to do this in over a period of time. That's where the IDB needs to be, to, be, to be relevant and needs to be in there. We need to bury all of our utilities. And while we're down there, not only are we burying electricity cables and whatever, we're dealing with, a lot of our countries are water scarce, even though we're surrounded by water, and we lose a lot of our water to the ground because a lot of our mains have been down there since the time of Queen Victoria in England. And therefore, we, we don't get anything out of them. And then, basically, the other issue, as I said before, is housing stock. We need, across the region, to have a common code, building code, because there are still buildings that are standing in Abaco and Grand Bahama because of the way in which they were designed. And therefore, if you, if you have a common building code across the region to build resilient
5: um infrastructure well, then you- thank you david lewis with manchester trade and csis uh congratulations Romina, and the panel excellent uh timing uh on the bad side unfortunately as ambassador has said given the series of regional natural disasters and so on affecting small islands in the caribbean but also the timing with regards to the idb's 60th anniversary i'm interested if uh any all of you would care to comment particularly on Sort of skirted around the issue of foreign direct investment, but also national investment in development initiatives in the countries, and particularly how we're seeing some countries really mobilize that very well. Uh, in a climate, I agree with Ambassador, not just of dearth of development assistance, but also uh, maturation in certain markets. So, for example, we have extremely high growth rates and developed markets in places like Jamaica. Dominican Republic, uh, and it's really all led by foreign direct investment and national uh, investment, private capital.
4: But also to others, is that uh, we've also seen that people who think about competitiveness think that small countries actually have an advantage, maybe because they can move quicker. If you look at a lot of the small countries, like Ireland and Singapore, they managed to get out in front. So how, what have you found at the IDB, or in your respective countries, that tends to show that hmm, small countries can really uh, be more competitive than larger countries. And what what have the findings been there? Uh, And especially with regard to Suriname, uh, what are your competitive advantages uh, relative to, say, French Guyana or Guyana or some of the other neighboring countries, are there some distinctive competencies there that we could all learn from as
5: a small country? Thank you.
3: So uh, let's answer these two questions, and then I'll um refer to the audience again. I'll take a stab at David's uh, question on how to mobilize more uh, you know, local and, I guess, regional private capital.
0: Well, like the IDB, for example, in terms of being able to reconstruct your infrastructure and give us access to concessional f- um, financing because we are still vulnerable. Instead of instead of trying to state that China has access to concessional financing at the World Bank. Barbados doesn't. You, you, you can't just take the size of my GDP, divide it by the number of people I've got living in Barbados and tell me that's the, that's the crisis and the metric that you use for seeing whether or not I'm, I can access funding. And therefore, it means that you've got to find another index of vulnerability or something else, else that tells us what we can do. But, that, but, but that's how you start.
3: Yes, Jane.
2: Um, to answer your question, I think Suriname and the other small countries do have a lot of advantages, and I can name a lot of
3: them, <laughs> I think.
2: Um, But the IDB, for example, can use the small states, and in this case Suriname, for, for smaller scale, innovative um, um, projects. So if we see, we talk about the whole new technology boom in where you can use... A
6: country like the Bahamas with 700 islands, uh, every year, one of those islands is going to get hit. Uh, it's just—it's uh, a safest, safest bet if you were a betting man. It's the safest bet. One of them are going to get hit, because the track of the storm coming off of Africa through the Caribbean is bound to hit one of our islands. And so the question is: a high-income country, uh, which the World Bank has designated the Bahamas a uh, capita GDP, getting hit, having one or more of the islands completely devastated. Dehumaned, no, no one living. All the structures are gone, and having to rebuild two or three years later every time, with the additional problem of being designated a high-income country, uh, is a challenge for small island developing states, and it is something. It's a new normal. And it's something that financing, uh, international financial organizations are going to have to take us. You're already giving all this uh, concessions and crown land and other lands to the foreign direct investment, which ordinarily in the Caribbean, uh, the inhabitants don't benefit from. So that's another issue. Uh, you can attract foreign direct investment, uh, but it, there's some political backlash. A lot of time, and, it, and and the groundswell is coming. Finally, I, I know I have a lot to say. Finally, I I, I like the fact that uh, Ambassador Lynch mentioned the de-risking and the EU and a lot of the blacklisting because compounded with the small island developing stage problems, you have the issue of the big countries, particularly in the EU. EU I'm sure there are some EU countries here. Uh, the OECD... Um, putting the the tax regime that they maintain in the EU, which is foreign to Caribbean countries and small island developing states. Algorithm, the moment
4: a storm starts, so you can have some of the early resources to help in saving lives and eventually in improving livelihoods for the people. It does need the participation of the countries a little bit more aggressively in that scheme, in that format. But it's one of the tools that I think can facilitate or can help alleviate some of the situations. Now, to prevent a little bit or to be ready is more about adapting. It's more about adaptation to climate change. In 2010, I had the honor of founding the Global Adaptation Institute, which is a non-for-profit Base, was based here in D.C., now is based at the University of Notre Dame. We have developed an index that is being used by the rating agencies, is used by uh, private companies to measure how vulnerable countries are and how enable is the environment to attract investment, to invest in those vulnerabilities that countries have. And companies like Caterpillar, Cargill, Coca-Cola, Nestle, many of the infrastructure will face this year one or two event. Now, uh, uh, Gabriel has something also very important uh, related to the use of technology, and I I, I mentioned that actually was the first point I made that we need to use technology more. I am an engineer by formation, an industrial engineer. So when you ask about making the government more efficient as an industrial engineer, the first thing I do is I eliminate first what doesn't work and what is not needed, and then what is left. Is what you try to make it as efficient as possible. What happens in some of our countries, and Panama is not an exception, uh, is that we have grown too much, and we are, you know, sort of addressing the flavor of the month, and we sometimes forget the most basic and important uh, functions that the state has, which was said in part before by the by the ambassador, which is, the government should be not an orchestra director but a referee that helps facilitate. The, or resolve the conflicts among the different actors of society. And two, the security part, which I also mentioned.
2: On this table, um, what some of the most prominent issues are and challenges in our small states. So I think we really need to start with that dialogue, intensive dialogue, and what we, would we expect from this new management and this new president, and what would we want out of it. And, and again, as a country, only as Suriname, we will never be able to to get, like, what we really want or need, so we really need to bundle together and figure out um, what we want to gain um, from that new prospect um, coming. So, so that's the, the what, when, and how. Yeah, go ahead. Uh,
1: I would just like to clarify a, a previous comment I made because I don't want to come across as a statist or old-fashioned, you know, like state-prone, you know, bureaucrat. Actually, I come from a business sector, but. What has been happening, and that refers to the question, you know, in Central America and Mesoamerica by at large, you know, we pretty much lost, you know, the opportunity, you know, to jump into the train of the third industrial revolution. And now we're losing the opportunity to jump into the fourth. Why? Because the ticket states that ours, you know, sometimes they think that we're invisible.
0: You know, if you're a small state, we're invisible, we're not indispensable. It might be invisible to some. But I also want to say this that, um, the development of small societies is also important to the development of large and already developed societies and your ongoing development. If, if you, if they don't assist in seeking to have the people on their borders well developed, all of the downsides of that development will end up on your doorstep at the border. Just remember, at the border, we are not indispensable and many large states, even in this hemisphere, seem to think that small states like ours are invisible. We're not.
3: Um, We have a few minutes left. I want to maybe take just one last question and then we have an announcement. Yeah.
0: I think politicians just tell these things the issue of of what can the bank do obviously we don't have the infrastructure first of all to be able neither the size nor the infrastructure to start to accommodate many of the the influx of people that we get the apart from the political disruptions climate refugees is going to be the next challenge that we're gonna face you have as I said 20% of the Bahamas being displaced where do these people go now in their case because they've got New Providence, for example, they've got bigger islands. They, they, you, you can obviously take in some of the people, but there was a request that was made to the United States to be able to take in some of them, and it wasn't at least in the frame. It was the way it was framed; they wouldn't do it. But I, I'm thinking that we need to create a fund, right, that is mobilized through the IFIs in conjunction with capital private capital in these countries to be able to build out our infrastructure in a way that we can accommodate people who
4: are coming in um, that w- exercises that have been done uh, in the case of the World Bank in particular in the Middle East to try to replicate whatever is replicable in in our region uh, and two, the part of creating the conditions in the countries it's very important if if countries like Venezuela Uh, if that problem is not resolved, you're going to be dealing with the consequences of that, and not only in Colombia, but uh, in in other countries uh, neighboring Venezuela. And So it is a combination of some entities, some bodies, helping to resolve the problem within Venezuela in order to minimize the migration that is taking place in in that particular case. And the IDB might not have a role at this moment, but it has to be ready when the time comes for action to be taking place within the country itself.
5: Great. Listen, please join me in thanking the panelists. This was excellent.
0: I'm hoping.